Welcome to the High Point Baptist Church Sermon Cast, expository Bible sermons from the preaching and teaching ministry of High Point Baptist Church in Larksville, Pennsylvania, for the glory of God and the proclamation of His Word. We thank you for listening. And now, High Point Baptist Church Elder, Greg Lynch. All right, let's begin this evening with a word of prayer, okay? Uh, Our Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this evening. It's a rich, wonderful word, message from you that we love to read, love to think about, love to share with others who have similar desires similar interests. We also would pray that you would enable us by your Spirit to speak to others who are in the world about the wonders of your Word. Your Word is great and pure, without error, And we want to give you the glory for what you'll accomplish in us and through us as we meditate and apply this to our lives. Pray that your Spirit might guide us now as we open your Word and learn from you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay. This morning's or this evening's message, I have entitled it Last Day's Contrasts. Not a very clear title, but we're going to be dealing with some contrasts in attitudes and actions between the world and true believers during the uh, during the last days. Now as I take a look at our contemporary life, it's very difficult not to be caught up in the worldwide happenings of the day and see their possible parallels or connections with end-time events. Take a look at any aspect of our society, whether it's religion or politics or economics, there seems to be some kind of real connection with what we can expect, or at least the world can expect, when the the tribulation period hits the earth. These things may, I'm just going to stress the word may, all these events may be pointing to that period of time. Um, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to try to keep our message this evening to under 30 minutes. So if you see 50, uh, was it 750? It's about 750. We want to try to stop regardless of where I am. I should be pretty close to the end, but 
Six fifty. Well, seven fifty. All right. <laughs> I can't see the clock from here. It looks like seven. It's all kind of a blur there. <clears throat> so, Second uh, Timothy chapter three. Now, I'm not going to be dealing. This is more or less a Bible study. Okay, this is not going to be a sermon. I'm more comfortable with Bible studies than I am with sermons. So we're going to just be looking at several passages of Scripture dealing with end-time-related ideas. Okay, so 3.1, it says, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. The first uh, point that I just want to bring out is that the, the moral climate during the last days, we're going to define last days, are described as violent, savage, dangerous, or in this case, difficult. I like the, the first three better than difficult. Difficult doesn't seem to capture what the last days are supposed to be about. Violent, savage, and dangerous. The Apostle Paul wants Timothy to know that's why he says, realize this, that during the church age and as the day of Christ's return for his people approaches, in other words, in the last days, okay, that's how I'm, I'm uh, interpreting last days here. During the church age, that's when it's the last day started, and it's going to continue on until Christ's return for his church. In other words, in the last days, there will be difficult times that will be assaulting the earth. As I pointed out, difficult can be translated as savage or violent. And the word times is not referring to some kind of chronological thing. It's more referring to an era or an epoch or an age. Okay, so it's from the time when Christ came on earth until the time when he takes the church out of the earth. Now it says that in the last days difficult times will come. Paul doesn't seem to focus in on where these difficult times are going to take place. It seems to be a very universal application. In other words, it's not just in the Holy Land or in the Roman Empire, but it's a worldwide type of thing where people will be, well, the, the times will be savage and violent, okay? And the idea here is that things will become increasingly savage and violent as we approach the end of the age. Now, in the Old Testament, when referring to the last days, it was referring to the time when Messiah would come, Okay? Take a look back at Hebrews chapter 11. Actually, Hebrews chapter 1. Just to get the idea of the last days being uh, starting at the time when Christ came to earth the first time. Hebrews chapter 1. says, God, after he spoke long ago in the father, to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, 
in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. And we'll stop right there for the sake of time. So he's talking about God speaking to us in his Son in the last days. So that's when the last days began, was when Christ came to earth the first time. And as I said, the last days began there, and it will they'll continue on until Christ returns for his church. Now, in the New Testament, last days, or in, in this case, I'm going to have you turn very briefly to 1 Timothy chapter 4, where a different expression is used. Just go back a few pages from 2 Timothy to 1 Timothy chapter 4. where it says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times, okay, later times, some will fall away from the faith. We'll stop right there for the time being. Okay, because we want to deal with the idea of fall away in a very short period of time. Okay, so the last times or later times refer to periods of time or eras in the latter stages of the church before Christ returns for his people. So it's that last part in 1 Timothy 4 is talking about the latter part of the last days. In other words, right up until the very end of the uh, church age. So that's what's what's uh, the distinction between last days and later times. Okay, back to 2 Timothy. Verse 2, it says, For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of God, or haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Okay? This is talking about the breakdown of civilization, so to speak, civilization in various ways. Now, I'm not going to go through all these. That would take uh, several weeks to go through all the explanations of these terms. But I just want to point out a few things and how I've, I've uh, divided up um, these particular verses. The first thing I just want to point out is that men will be lovers of self, Okay, people will become increasingly narcissistic. Everybody's heard of that term before, I suppose, but probably don't know where narcissistic comes from. Maybe some of you do, but I found this explanation in Encyclopedia Britannica. Britannica. Narcissus in Greek mythology was a son of a river god and a nymph. He was distinguished for his beauty. According to Ovid's Metamorphosis, Narcissus's mother was told by the blind seer Tiresias that her son would have a long life, provided he never recognized himself. However, his rejection of the love of the nymph Echo drew upon him the vengeance of the gods. And this is the point. He fell in love with his own reflection in the waters of a spring and pined away or killed himself. In other words, he was just out in the, in the 
nature one day and he came upon a pond and he fell down at the, at the edge of the pond and he looked at the water and he saw his reflection in the water. And that proved to be uh, very bad for him because he, he died or he killed himself because he saw his reflection in the water, because he saw his beauty, how beautiful he was. And that's, who can deny that we live in a narcissistic age? There are so many people in this world who are in love with themselves to an, to an extended extent. I was in school the other day, and I heard a, a fifth grader. She said the word narcissistic. I heard it and I said, wow, that's a good word. And I said, do you know what that means? And she thought for a little while, and she said, people who love, each, love one another or love each other. Okay, and I said, well, not exactly. It has to do with an obsessive love for yourself. And who can deny that we have that in our culture today? People just, I mean, just take a look at it. They just love themselves so much, so over the top, that it's, it's hardly believable what we're seeing in our culture. The second thing we have is lovers of money, and we can talk about that forever, but the idea is, is that the world idolizes wealth. There's no question about that. They put wealth ahead of everything. They exalt themselves. The next part dealing with boastful and arrogant, they will exalt themselves and their possessions, thinking themselves far superior to all others, being boastful and arrogant. Okay, the next word, revilers, they will speak disrespectfully of God and of sanctified, or sanctity, of holiness. They revile God at every, every stage of the way. You always hear this in school, at least. That's, that's my purview. That's where I live my life, I hear people reviling God all the time. In fact, there was a, a boy in one of my classes who used the Lord's name in vain twice. I called him on it a couple times, and I said, you do not even know what you're saying, because he had no concept of Jesus Christ. He was just using it as a swear word. They reject their, their uh, parents, their parents' counsel, and their commands. Okay, that part right there, it says, oh, disobedient to parents. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving. They have nothing to do with holy living. A lifestyle that's set apart for God's use. They have no concern for those kinds of things. They purposely neglect to thank God for their lives and for what he has given them. These things are prevalent, have been prevalent throughout the, the church age, throughout hundreds of years, but it seems as though things are getting worse and worse and worse, which the scriptures tell us they're supposed to do in the in the latter times. Okay, it says they will they will not show love, they will not be able to be at peace with others, irreconcilable. Okay, we see a lot of that today. The people just don't want to get along with each other. They will defame others through malicious gossip. We see that constantly on the news especially in recent days with the judge. 
constantly talking against him. They will be incapable of exercising self-control in every way. They will be violent and cruel or brutal. Now, we can't argue with that either. We see that constantly throughout the, the world, not just in our, our country, but all throughout the world. They will hate the morally good thing. They will be unfaithful in general. In other words, just treacherous toward one another. They will be impulsive and take dangerous, unnecessary risks. In other words, being reckless. There are a lot of people who are reckless with their lives. They don't really care. They drive 100 miles an hour without even thinking about it. They'll elevate their importance, being conceited. They'll seek sensuality at all costs and will have no place for the worship of the true God. And it comes to verse 4. It says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then the final thing, they will hold to a form of religion for appearance's sake, not because its teaching saves them from eternal loss or subdues their sinfulness. It's a very self-serving, hypocritical type of lifestyle. They hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. We can go into far more detail about what the words say, but I think you get the, the gist of what Paul is saying. Paul implores his spiritual son, Timothy, to avoid people who espouse such beliefs and believe in these ways. That's what it says in verse 5. Avoid such men as these. Okay? And then we turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Just turn back a little bit again. And we'll take a look at the second aspect of our last day scenario. First one was the moral climate was described as violent or savage. The, the second one is the spiritual climate during the last times or later times is described as apostate, as apostate. First Timothy chapter 4 Verse 1 says, we've already read this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. Okay, I'm not going to go into more than that. But through the Spirit's inspiration, Paul is warning Timothy about an apostasy, apostasy that was going to happen in the later times. I just want to direct your attention to that particular word, apostasy, because we're going to come back to that later after we look at 2 Thessalonians 2. So if you turn to 2 Thessalonians 2, just a few pages back. We'll get an idea of what Paul is referring to in 2 Thessalonians 2. Verses 1 through 3. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. No one, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Okay, and we'll just stop right there for right now. Paul here is addressing an eschatological question regarding the timing of the coming 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and are gathering together to him. This is an event which he seems to join together as one, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together. It seems like he's pointing, putting those two together. We're, we're going to be considering how that, how that particular event stands in relationship to the day of the Lord. Okay, the day of the Lord, he, he refers to back there in, at the end of verse 2. The people had received a letter that told them that the day of the Lord had already come. Okay, so just keep those, those two events in, in mind. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, and then the day of the Lord. They're afraid that they're good, they're, they've missed the, the rapture of the church, which I believe is the gathering of the people together. Okay? Paul is seeking to comfort the Thessalonians about this erroneous communication that they received that said that the day of the Lord had already begun. So at this particular time, he's instructing them not to allow its false content to disturb or to, or to deceive them. Okay, we know from 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 10, that this day that he's referring to is, a, is pointing to a time of judgment for unbelievers and a period of relief for believers. Let's take a look at first, or 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. It says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming, in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Okay, so... Paul is pointing out that uh, these people were, were, being, were being deceived by this letter. He's just pointing out to them that the day of the Lord had to, had to come. A, a couple of things would have to precede the day of the Lord coming. Okay, take a look now back at 2 Thessalonians 2. Okay, Second Thessalonians 2. He's pointing out here in verses 2 and 3 that there are two specific events, two specific events that, that will precede this particular day, the day of the Lord. He said, first of all, they're supposed to be the falling away. Verse 3, it says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it... Now, the, meaning the day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Okay, so the the apostasy would be the first thing, the first event that would happen, and then secondly, the revelation of the man of sin, which we we read in verse three, verse B, or the, the second part of of verse three. So the falling away had to come first. 
and then the man of sin would be revealed. The falling away in verse 3 literally points to a specific departure, an apostasy of some sort, a departure. A falling away means a departure. Now, traditionally, scholars have taken this term to to refer to a worldwide rejection of and rebellion against the rule of God. That's what they mean by apostasy, what we have traditionally believed. But more recently, other Bible students have sought to demonstrate that the word speaks of the rapture, that it depicts a departure of the saints from this world to be with Christ. So it's not referring there to a departure from the faith, but it's a departure of the, of the Christians from this world. That's another, another view on this particular word, apostasy, or, or apostasia. This latter view is obviously more attractive to those who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture view. I myself find it very compelling because if Paul wanted to nail down this point decisively, this would be the way to do it. When he comes up with one word that that describes the, the rapture, he calls it the apostasy or the departure. That has to come first before the man of sin comes on the on the scene. It appears to be a, a very compelling to me, but at this point, the linguistic evidence appears to be inconclusive on this matter. So I choose to restrain my enthusiasm and suspend my judgment on this point at this time and just refer to the traditional view that it's referring to a falling away from the faith. If the apostasy, the apostasia, because it's talking about a specific event, okay, the apostasia could possibly be the rapture. That's a specific event. But it also could be the revealing of the son of the man of sin who comes into the temple and he declares himself to be God. That could be the apostasy, the falling away from the faith. Okay? The apostasy, the apostasia, or the apostasy, may consist of humanity's collective and wholesale departure from belief in all that is called God or that is worshipped. That's what it says in verse verse 4a in 2 Thessalonians 2. Just back up a little bit. It says, The man of lawlessness, in verse 3, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's the ultimate apostasy or falling away. That's the event that it might be referring to. And as, as he declares himself to be God, then everybody turns away from God and turns to worship him. Okay, so they are going to, or he's going to declare himself to be God, and the people are going to believe the lie, as it says there in verses 10 and 11 of that chapter. Okay, turn, just take a look at verse 10 and 11 of 2 Thessalonians 2. Okay, after he shows all these signs and wonders, it says, with all the deception of wickedness for those who per- perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. 
So they're going to follow the Antichrist, the man of sin, as he declares himself to be God. Okay? He is the son of perdition, the son of destruction. He's, post, he's positioning himself against God and elevating his majesty above God by usurping his throne. Okay, so here we see an apostasy that's taking place. That's supposed to take place during the, the last days. Okay, turn back to 1 Thessalonians just very briefly, or 1 uh, Timothy very briefly. We're not going to spend any, any much, much time on verse, uh, verse 2 of 1 Timothy 4, only to say that in that day of apostasy, demons will influence people in such a way that people will pay attention to Satan's heresies. Not only that, but they're going to suffer the searing of their consciences, so they're not going to be able to tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And these apostate leaders, these, these religious leaders out in the world, religious leaders mostly, will foist upon, their, upon all their followers these commandments. And then they had no intentions of, of uh, following, uh, following God themselves or following uh, the truth themselves. So they're going to be uh, bringing all these false doctrines upon the earth during the latter times. It says, they fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, and then various things that they're going to be, uh, be espousing, men forbidding marriage and advocating abstaining from foods. Okay, all these things happen during the latter part of the, the last days. Okay, then we come to the Christian response. We see the way the world, world's attitudes and actions will be displayed during the last days. All the, the horrible, um, unholy characteristics of the people in the world. But now we turn to Hebrews chapter 10 to see the Christian response. What's the Christian response to these savage apostate times? What should our response be? My purpose tonight was mostly to try to encourage one another, encourage you, encourage myself, in light of the, the type of world, the kind of world that we're living in. We see this all day long. We're, we're saturated by the, by the uh, iniquities of the people in the world. And how do we combat those kinds of things? How do we, how do we keep on the even keel and keep walking with the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 24. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 24, which is basically a summary of the argument for the superiority of Christ's priestly ministry. Okay? I'll just read that very quickly. It says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That last part of the verse brings in the eschatological point of view. As you see things getting closer and closer to the end, the best thing that we can do is to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, encourage one another with, with our faith in Christ. Okay, what time do we have? Okay, I'll just uh, cut it short because I had another page or two. Um, basically, what, I'm, what the passage is talking about is that we all can approach God because of the sacrificial offering of Jesus' body on our behalf. We can all approach God be, through a new and living way. The old sacrificial system has been fulfilled in Christ. We have a, a great high priest presiding over the church forever. You can take a, if you're taking a, a note or two, you, or you have your Bible there, you can just write in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. The point that we want to focus in on, what I just read here, is, are these three exhortations, these let us exhortations in verses 22 through 25. Verse 22 talks about drawing near to him with a sincere or true inner life that's controlled by faith in God. Because we're believers, we can now come before the Lord and he's exhorting us to come before the Lord in purity, in holiness, having confidence in his promises, being assured of our salvation. We can come to him and not fear because he has paid the price for our salvation. And this is consisting, this coming before God is consisting, consisting of two things. We have a conscience that's been cleansed from the defiling thoughts, because it's been, it's been sprinkled by the, with the blood of Christ. In other words, the blood of Christ has, has cleansed our conscience so that we can now come before the Lord without fear. And he's also saying we should come before the Lord with a, a body that's de dedicated to his service. Okay, so God wants us to give our entire selves, not just our minds, but also in our hearts, but also our body. It all belongs to him and should be used in worship. Verse 23, where it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We should maintain a firm understanding of what our faithful God has promised us. He has given us and promised us eternal salvation and blessing, and we should hold on to that conviction with conviction. Hold on to that belief, that understanding in our hearts with conviction. And then finally, in verse 24, we should think seriously about how we are, to, we are to stir up or stimulate or incite in, in, within one another ways in order to demonstrate God's love to, uh, to one another through good deeds. Spend time thinking about how you're going to stimulate somebody else to do good deeds that are going to be, uh, bring glory to God. Local churches should not neglect spending time encouraging one another 
more and more, especially as we see the day approaching. As we see events in the world perhaps pointing toward the time when Christ is going to return, we should be spending more time with one another in fellowship and encouraging one another to do uh, the right things, do good works uh, to bring glory to God. This is what the, the encouragement is for tonight. We see the world in many ways deteriorating rapidly wherever we look. We have to maintain our, our own relationship with the Lord, our own fellowship with the Lord, and endeavor to encourage one another in the faith, stimulate one another to do the kinds of things that will build each other up so that we appear as, as lights in the world because the, the world is very dark out there in this particular time of, of, um, of history. Okay, so let's have a word of prayer. Father, we, uh, we are a people who must focus on you rather than on the, the world and what the world is doing. Enable us by your grace to separate ourselves from all the attitudes and actions that the world manifests openly. Stand against those things, but mostly to live lives which are in accordance with your word, with what your word teaches us how to live. We ask that you would encourage us each day in our relationships with one another. Help us to incite or stimulate one another to do things which are good works that are going to, going to build each other up and bring glory to you. Thank you for what you'll accomplish in us this week. Make us good witnesses for you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, I believe that I'm to just pray for just petitions. Is that what it is, Robert? Okay. Okay, and then um, I guess, uh, Tom, will you be right after me, right? Okay. Our Father, we uh, we want to come and continue to petition you for various things in our lives. Um, the concerns of many of us are for our unsaved loved ones. You are a God who is 
God of grace, grace and love and mercy, you are sovereign in all your ways. And we trust that you would work in each one of our hearts, give us the courage that we need to speak a word for you, and just trust you for what you will accomplish because you are a God who is just and righteous and holy. We pray that you would encourage your people, help us to walk with you, keep you ever before us as we go into the world. Help us to not put our light under a bushel, but to let it shine to those who are walking in darkness. Pray that you would make this a real priority in each one of our lives. Out of love of you, out of a concern for your glory, that people would return, would, would repent, and trust in Christ. We pray for pastors of this church to strengthen them help them to continue to be faithful to you in preaching and teaching and counseling and all the other things that they are involved with that you would be pleased to grow this church spiritually as well as numerically that we might corporately bring glory and honor to you in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the expository Bible teaching of High Point Baptist Church elder Greg Lynch on the High Point Baptist Church Sermon Cast, and we pray you have been blessed by what you've heard. If you have any questions about the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or if you would like to speak with someone concerning salvation through faith, please reach out to us right away. It would be a great joy and blessing to minister to you. Contact information can be found on our website. If you have any additional questions or comments regarding this sermon, would like to know more about our church, or would like to submit a prayer request, just visit us online at highpointbaptist.church. Additional sermons can be found on the SermonCast page of our website and may be downloaded or streamed free of charge. Our website again is highpointbaptist.church. Thank you again for listening. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Copyright 2018, High Point Baptist Church, all rights reserved.